but all y'all know me, so it wouldn't do no good to be fancy. I didn't even try pawning off the sermon on anybody else tonight because, well, it hasn't worked out any of the other times I tried, so I figured why beat that horse any longer. But uh, uh, just as a side note, this has absolutely nothing to do with the message, but man, I like the hymns that we sing around here. Um, and, you know, it's easy to kind of take those for granted sometimes, but if you've ever been to a church where they don't do hymns, man, you sure do appreciate it. Um, I mean, not only perhaps from a musical standpoint, but my goodness, just the, the depth to some of those songs just crushes anything that you're going to hear anywhere else. I mean, case in point, uh, we were at a, at one, a church of some of our extended family, and uh, I'll just say that they were not singing hymns. And uh, my father-in-law leans over and he says, I don't understand a couple of these words. What does that mean? And that just kind of struck me. I'm like, hmm, he's been to our church. He's never asked me about any of the songs that we sing. But, I mean, just some of the uncommon terminology you would even think for church. I think Yahweh was the word that he was hung up on. What is that? And I'm like, well, you know, I tried to explain it, and he's just kind of like, well, all right, I guess. I'm thinking, why don't you just say Jesus, but, hey, maybe that's just oversimplifying things, and I'm just not uh, fancy enough maybe to appreciate terms like Yahweh. I'd just rather say Jesus, as far as I'm concerned. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4, or at least that's where we're going to start. But that's probably about the only place I'll have you turn. I was advised once to not have everybody turn to every passage. I mean, it's good if you're really trying to kill time, but somehow or another, I always end up coming up with more to say. Prior to the service, I don't know how you do that. I mean, that in-between congregationals, I just don't have anything. That, so, you know, I'm just reading what's off the bulletin. Nothing's really coming to mind other than that. Uh, anyways, so Hebrews chapter 4, let's go down to verse number 14. The Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And we're kind of going to focus on the last part of that. Let us hold fast our profession. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3 says that every man has been dealt the measure of faith. Now, sometimes we kind of mix that up or, I don't know, maybe another so-called Bible says it differently. Sometimes we like to say that, you know, every man has been dealt a measure of faith, but that's not what the Bible says. Everybody's been dealt the measure of faith or the, however you want to say it. Everybody's been dealt the measure of faith, and some choose to increase that faith and grow it, um, while some choose to maybe only you know grow it so much and no more, um, while other people never seem to bother with it at all. I mean, no doubt we're going to see people in heaven that we're going to be like, mm, I didn't know you were going to be here, right? Can you just imagine somebody coming up to you and saying, gee, I really wasn't expecting you, <laughs> That would be horrible. Well, we never saw you darken the door of a church. We just didn't know if you were saved or not. 
Well, okay, so going to church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian or not, but I'm just saying some people choose to increase their faith. Some choose to, you know, maybe so much and no more. Some people just don't choose to do it at all. Paul said of himself to Timothy, he says, I have kept the faith. And surely we know, okay, every hand in here I'm sure could go up of someone who has, in their own words, quote unquote, lost their faith. And I mean... I don't know, maybe that kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way when someone says, well, I've lost my faith. I'm like, well, you know, how do you lose it? But okay, maybe you've just abandoned it. Or maybe they claim to no longer have any faith or perhaps um, they used to have faith in, you know, what we would call sound doctrine or or biblical um, doctrines and they've changed it to something else. Believe it or not, I've known a few people like that who went from a good Bible-believing church to something completely different. I'm thinking, how do you go from this to that? Because, I mean, I know that we can be a little crazy sometimes, but, you know, Mormons aren't necessarily my picture of, uh, you know, sane necessarily. But, regardless, it's something that takes work or an effort to guard and protect. Uh, So guard your faith. Peter charges us to be sober and vigilant. Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God so we can stand and withstand. And Jude exhorts us to earnestly contend for the faith. And so in the life of a believer, faith must be well guarded, lest it be overtaken or just simply abandoned. Um, I mean, it it takes work. Now, that's not necessarily saying that you have to work to be saved, you understand, but to increase your faith, to keep your faith, you're going to have to keep at it. I mean, if you just don't ever do anything with it and, you know, surely maybe not everybody, but I'd say maybe a good majority at some point or another, you've just kind of went through the motions. Maybe you just... uh, kind of went to church, but, you know, that was about it. Well, I'm going to church, and, well, I'm not reading my Bible, but, hey, I'm showing up, and, uh, you know, your faith really isn't increasing. It may not necessarily be decreasing, but you're just kind of in a state of limbo there. Um, but it's going to take some work to guard your faith to keep yourself from being overtaken by something false or maybe just laying out altogether on Christianity. No doubt there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that once were, you know, solid Christians, did a lot of good things for the Lord, and then now, where are they at now? You know, they're still saved, but, you know, as far as we're concerned, they've abandoned their faith in God. Uh, now, how that works, I don't know, um, but I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be some people like that up there. Now, Webster's 1828 defines the word guard as to secure against injury loss or attack, to protect, to defend, to keep in safety, to secure against objections or the attacks of malevolence. Now, this is important because uh, the attacks against faith in God, true faith in God, you understand, we're not talking about the Catholic faith or the faith of the Methodists necessarily, but true faith in God, there's a lot of attacks. And you don't have to look far to find it either. <clears throat> Schools will want to reason away your faith. And that goes from elementary, I mean, good grief. Some of the stuff that they're trying to push on kids now that just attack their faith in God is just unreal. And all the way up to, you know, college level. 
you go to college and you got a professor who's just going to try to reason away faith in God. Well, you know, yes, there may be a God, but, you know, well, yes, the Bible may be God's word, but, you know, however you want to take it. Political leaders want to outlaw and downplay faith, especially if you are of a certain political affiliation known as the Democrats, and I have no apologies for saying that either. If you're a Democrat, I'll half-heartedly apologize to you later. I'm just kidding. We love you. Stick around. Don't leave. Okay? False religions want to take faith away from God and place it somewhere else. And some unbelievers just want to do away with faith, maybe to appease their own conscience, right? <clears throat> and escape conviction. Everybody knows somebody like that. They don't even want to talk about God. Don't even mention God. Don't even mention the Bible. I don't want to hear that stuff. Why? Because it pricks their conscience. Because deep down inside, everybody's been dealt the measure of faith. The Bible says that even nature tells people that there's a God. Okay, Nobody's going to really have an excuse when they stand before the Lord and they say, well, it wasn't my fault, God. I didn't, I didn't have any choice but to not believe. Right. That's not going to get you very far. In fact, it's not going to get you anywhere. <clears throat> Even in church, believe it or not, there may arise people or situations that really try your faith. Maybe even your patience, but we're going to leave that one alone for today. Okay, sometimes, even in church, okay, you can get your faith tried. Whether it be, you know, a pastor who sinned or, you know, just a fellow church member who sinned or maybe even just somebody that rubbed you the wrong way. It happens. You'll be okay. Stick around. Don't leave. Okay, but how can we guard our faith? Okay, so point number one, have a foundation, okay, and a weapon. Webster's 1828 defines foundation as the basis or groundwork that on which anything stands and by which it is supported. The same defines the word support as to bear, to sustain, or to maintain. Now, a Christian must have a foundation for faith and a way to defend their faith. So is this not the word of God? For the believer, David said that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And again, he says, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So the word of God is what we live by. That's pretty basic. I mean, if, if you don't know that, I am happy to have opened your eyes to that fact. The word of God is what we live by. It's the basis for our faith, and it's the sole firm foundation <clears throat> on which we can stand. That's the truth. Uh, you know, for a Christian, your foundation is nothing else but the word of God. <clears throat> and it's what lights our way and gives us direction for our life. Paul says the word of God is the sword of the spirit in the armor of God. So it's our weapon by which we can fight against sin. Think about when Satan took Jesus into, or when Jesus was taken into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. Okay, Jesus fought back with his word, the word of God. You know, pastor, I believe, mentioned that Sunday. Jesus said, it is written, it is written. You know, I mean, Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and that had been the end of the devil, Right. But he fought back with his word. That is also our weapon as well. 
So number one, have a foundation and have a weapon, the word of God. Number two, be sure of your foundation and your weapon. So how convinced are you? Okay, let's just get real for a moment. How convinced are you that the foundation your faith stands on is firm and unshakable? Because believe it or not, a lot of people struggle with that, even though they may not actually come out and say, well, I just, I'm not so sure about everything that the Bible says, right? You talk to somebody long enough, you can kind of pinpoint whether or not they believe that it's completely true or completely firm. A believer should leave no room for doubt about that on which he stands. So is the Bible 100% true? Is it mixed with a little error? Even if there are things in it that we can't explain or rationalize through our human minds, by faith we just have to accept it. And I mean, there's things that I come to and surely things that you come to that you don't necessarily completely have an answer for. I mean, and people will come up with the craziest things to ask. You know, one of the things that, that I heard probably the most just talking to people out on the street is they'll ask you questions like, well, hold on a second. I mean, you're trying to give them the gospel and you're being all serious and you're trying to drive your point home and they'll stop you right in the middle of it and they'll say, well, hold on a second. Hold on. I have a question. Now, I've been wondering this for a really long time. Uh, well, okay, I I'll hope I have an answer for you. Well, what is it? Where did Cain get his wife? Who cares? I mean, I don't necessarily have an answer for you on that one. It doesn't say, well, why don't you know? Well, like, man, if you can find it in there and enlighten me on that, go right ahead, okay? They'll come up with the craziest things to ask. Where am I at? I lost my spot. Right. So is the Bible 100% true? Is it mixed with error, okay? Even when there's things that you can't understand, just take it by faith. Nobody, as far as I know, can necessarily explain the Trinity, but it's probably safe to say that we all believe in it because that's what the Bible says. Some things you just have to take by faith, and of course, you've heard it probably a dozen different ways. If you could explain everything about God and about God's word, there would be no mystery to it. There, there would be no reason to have faith because that which you can explain away doesn't take faith. Plain and simple. But if any part of the Bible could even be possibly wrong then our foundation cannot be as strong, firm, and unchanging as the God that we serve. That's just a contradiction. You either have to believe that God's word is just as pure and perfect as he is, or not. Okay, then you're no longer living by faith, but you're living by what you can reason. And there's a lot of people out there like that because, you know, eh, people like to have their pet sins sometimes and you'll try to tell them, well, here's what the Bible says about that. Well, I know that's what it says in that, in that part there, but I don't necessarily think that's true. Okay, then you don't actually believe the Bible. Maybe that's just a little harsh, and I mean, you don't have to be a jerk saying it. And I probably have been before, and if I've been a jerk to you, I have formally apologized for that. But, I mean, frankly, that's it. If there's anything in the Bible that you can put a question mark behind and say, well, I'm not so sure about that. Now, it's one thing to say, I don't know how to explain that to you. But it's another thing to say, I'm not so sure about that. Right? Then it becomes a question of, well, then what are you sure of in there? Because if one part's wrong, 
What about the rest of it? How can you be sure? David said in Psalm chapter 12 and verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words. And then I like this in Psalm 33 verse 4, David simply says, The word of the Lord is right. I like it. It's just right. However, there are many that would have you to believe that from the time God's word was written and given to us, that either some of it's been lost or some of it's been altered. And maybe depending on who you're talking to will result in the answer that you get. Um, but David, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, assures us in Psalm 12, verse 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So my answer to people that say, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's been altered or some of it's been lost, okay, then you don't believe that God will preserve his word. Well, no, that's, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Well, that is exactly what you're saying because either he preserved it or he didn't. Okay, if Jesus, who is God, said that we live by every word of the Bible, okay, then why would we not have every word available to us today? And that's a question that everybody has to ask themselves when they say, well, do I believe the Bible 100% or don't I? Okay, and if you don't, okay, then why did Jesus say that we live by every word if we don't have every word? Well, then that's a fault on God's part, and that's an impossibility because God can't do anything wrong. So did God at some point in time become uninterested in preserving his written word? Or did he simply become unable to preserve it? And believe it or not, I have had somebody tell me before, well, you know, we have the gist of what God wanted us to have, and he's okay with that. Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I don't buy into that. Once you begin doubting the purity of the Bible, then you hold everything else about your faith in question as well. Because if you can't believe at all, then what about it can you believe? And if you can't believe that it's perfect, then okay, well then find yourself a better foundation to stand on because... You know, if it's not perfect, it's, it's shaky, it's fallible. And, and you certainly wouldn't stand on anything that you weren't sure is going to hold you up, right? I mean, you wouldn't stand on a rusty old chair that looks like, you know, a flea could sit on it and it's just going to crumble, right? You wouldn't build a house if you weren't sure that the foundation is completely firm and secure, uh, we were going over that in um, Sunday school a couple of Sundays ago, and I turned to Noah and I said, Noah, what happens if a foundation of a house is not very stable? If, if you don't build it on something steady, and he's like, oh, man, that's, that's going to be bad. Yeah, that's, that's not going to be good. Okay, he knows because his, dad, his dad's a wizard, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> okay, but you must be convinced that the foundation of your faith is... Sorry, let me rephrase that. You must be convinced that the foundation of your faith is, stand, is standing on is sure. Even if you can't explain it, okay, maybe you can't necessarily explain how God's word has been preserved through time. And believe me, you can get to that conclusion. It's going to require some reading. And some of it, if you're not a history buff, is just might be a little bit boring to you. Okay, you can get there, but... Even if you can't, just believe it anyways. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8 says, The grass withereth, the, the flower fadeth, 
but the word of our God shall stand forever. And also be sure that your weapon is capable. Uh, no soldier is going to go into battle without first knowing that the weapon they hold is capable of defending them. I mean, you wouldn't send a, well, maybe you would, depending on who you are, but a soldier wouldn't go out onto the battlefield without knowing his gun's going to fire, right? I mean, he's probably going to have fired that thing off. Now, I don't know. I've never been in the military. You correct me later on if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure you wouldn't go out into the battlefield if you didn't know your weapon's going to fire and that it's going to be capable of defending you from the enemy. <clears throat> You'll want to know that when you wield that weapon, it's going to go. Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us that for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, keeping that in mind, along with knowing that even Jesus fought back the prince of darkness with his word, we as Christians can rest assured that his word's not going to fail us, and that it's the only weapon capable of fighting the enemy. Now, not everything with the appearance of the sword, right? You can walk into, uh, well, practically any store and find something that resembles a Bible like you're probably holding now. And I'll give you a hint, it's not really a Bible. It's just not going to be the same. It can have the appearance of the sword, it may even say Holy Bible on the front of it, so it could have the name sword, but not necessarily be one. It doesn't contain the same truth, and I guarantee you it doesn't have the same power as the true, pure, unaltered Word of God does. So be sure your sword is not a counterfeit. I don't think anybody has an issue with that here. Okay, so number one... <clears throat> was have a foundation and a weapon to be sure of your foundation and your weapon. <clears throat> Number three, know your weapon. You can know your weapon's going to fire, right? If you have a gun and you know it's going to fire off, great. Okay, but you may not know your weapon, how to take it apart, how to clean it, how to load it. Okay, how close are you to the Bible? I mean, oh me, not just oh you, oh me too. How close am I to the Bible, right? Is it close enough to hide within your heart or just close enough to grasp, you know, when you're having to grab straws like, oh shoot, I need some help. <laughs> Where's the Bible? Where is it at? Uh, what's, that? What's, what's that verse again, right? How well is it brought to mind when you're facing some kind of spiritual opposition, I mean, really, uh, and I struggle with that too. Does it bring you strength and comfort? Or do you view it and read it with indifference? I just had a revelation. I never turned on this lapel mic. I turned it on now. Hey, we're on. I don't know what made me think of that. Anyway. But how close are you to the Bible? How well is it brought to mind when you're facing opposition? Does it bring you strength and comfort, or do you view it and read it with somewhat indifference? And hey, we've all been there before. Every good soldier must know their weapon. Every marksman must practice to achieve marksmanship. You just don't get that way overnight. You wouldn't go into battle without knowing how to wield your weapon. <laughs> Plenty of people, you know, go into battle 
not necessarily knowing how to hold their weapon. But so should the Christian be with their sword, the Bible. You ought to know your weapon. You ought to know the Bible. You ought to know what it says and how to apply it. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So standing firm on the word of God, being sure that it will hold you, and having it as your defense against sin and lies that attack your faith, study it. And you don't have to be a biblical scholar, but you ought to know it, at least some of it, right? The goal should be to know it from cover to cover. Now, if you can quote the entire Bible, hats off to you. I don't know that I'll ever get to that point just because my mind doesn't really seem to store up a whole lot of important information, just a lot of useless junk that really isn't going to help anybody but me, right? Okay, so nobody in here is going to need to know how to take apart a VCR and fix it, it probably except for me. Useless information that's not really going to amount to anything, okay? I wish that I could just read the Bible and memorize the whole thing. That may never happen, right? But the goal is to know it from cover to cover. Be sure that when the time comes, you're not caught with your sword, but unaware how to use it. Right? That, isn't that the fear? Or maybe it's just me. I should preface that. It could just be me. The fear of everybody that's witnessing to someone that you're going to forget where to turn and, and where to show them, Right? I memorized some of those passages in my head, but then when I'm trying to flip to it in the Bible here, let me show you what the Bible says about that, and I'm drawing a blank like, let me look at the concordance really quick. Hold on. I know it's in there. I promise it's in there, right? <clears throat> but not everyone has to be, has to be, or is called to be a Bible scholar. But every Christian should be a student of the Bible. When you read it, you ought to be getting something out of it. Right? It, it's easy to be a little hasty when you're reading your Bible sometimes, and I'm just as guilty as the next person. Sometimes you think, oh, ah, got to read my Bible today. This is my allotted time to read the Bible, and I got to get through it. Maybe you've got other things to do, and so you've got other things on your mind, and you're like, oh, let me get my chapters in. And so you just kind of flash through it a little bit. And then by the, the time you're done, you're like, well, I read it, Lord. Didn't really get much out of it, but hey, I read it, right? You've appeased your conscience for the day. Psalm chapter 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Okay? The more we truly read the Bible, not just out of duty, and it's easy to feel that way sometimes. Well, I'm a Christian. This is what I'm supposed to do. Okay? Not just out of character, but rather seeking to learn or seeking for help, when you need some help, go to the Word of God. We'll find the more we come to grow in our understanding of it, slow down maybe, take your time, read it. I promise you, the more you read it, the more stuff just pops out to you. And you think, well, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. Great, read it again. The next time you read it, I guarantee you, because it happens to me all the time, you think, man, how did I not connect this verse to this verse or, or this Old Testament passage to this New Testament passage right here. I'm telling you, it's fresh. When a preacher stands up and says that this book is never changing, that it's always got something new in it, he is not just feeding 
feeding you a, you know, a nice little catchphrase or, you know, just something, you know, like cute little saying, man, he means it. There's always something fresh and new in the word of God. When we face some temptation or hardship, our diligent reading and studying of the Bible will bring to mind the verses that we need. Again, try it if you don't believe me. Having the word of God in our heart will also give us boldness, right? I don't always have a lot of boldness. Now, sometimes I probably have a little too much and I put my foot in my mouth. Sometimes I may not have as much that I need, right? But the more you know the Word of God, the more bold you'll be to give it out to other people, right? Because again, maybe it's just me, maybe nobody else feels this way, but you always are afraid that you're just going to fumble through it, right? You're trying to give somebody something from the Word of God and like right now, and you're afraid that you're just going to fumble through it and that you're going to you know, trip all over your words and you're not going to remember where any passages are. That's why I have a cheat sheet right here. And even that trips me up sometimes, right? But the more you read it, right, the more it will give you boldness and the foundation on which we be proclaimers of the truth and certainly more boldness in giving the gospel to a lost and dying world. God spoke to the prophet Hosea concerning Israel's lack of knowledge. And specifically in this passage, it's talking about knowledge of God's law, right? But we can certainly apply it to our knowledge of the Bible. Now, if there was ever a time that it seems more and more people know less and less about the Bible, I would say this is probably it from what I've heard a lot of preachers talk about. I mean, because good grief, you, you can have the Bible with you anywhere, right? You can get it in pocket size, right? You can fit it in your back pocket. I've got one of those. You can have it on your phone. I mean, there's pretty much no excuse, at least here in America, for not having access to the Word of God, but certainly a lot of people sure act like they have never read it before. I'm telling you. <clears throat> large churches are spread throughout the land and they're full of people feasting on just the milk of the word and, and never the meat of the word, never taking hold of much or taking hold of much or even getting much root in what the Bible has to say about specific doctrines and, and teachings and, and really just the depths of the word of God. It's, it's a lot more than just John 3.16 and I'm telling you that's a good one. Thank God for John 3.16, but there's so much more in there than that. Okay, How are you supposed to believe of certain things as a Christian? The Bible tells you. How are you supposed to live as a Christian? The Bible tells you. It's got more in there than, than just what we get on the surface sometimes. <clears throat> and as a result, these kind of people are unaware of when fallacies and, and heresies creep their way into the church. Because I'm telling you, sometimes it amazes me hearing some of what comes out of pulpits and churches across America, and you think, well, that's easy, man. What he's saying is obviously not right. And gosh, there's got to be people out in his audience that, or congregation rather, that knows that that's not true. Why are they still in that church? I don't know. Maybe they're just not grounded so much in the Word of God. Maybe they are. I don't know. But they're unaware of when such things creep in. And it should not be so among those who follow the truth to not know the depths of the truth in the Word of God. Number four, wield your weapon. Hey, we're getting along pretty good. We're almost done. Wield your weapon. Okay, so we know the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and we know that it's quick, powerful, and sharp. 
But what good is a weapon in battle if it's not used? Okay, so you've got your weapon, right? You know, you know what's in it. Now use it, right? Put it to some good use, okay? You could certainly know a whole lot about the Bible and still leave it on the shelf, never give it away to anybody, never expel any kind of truth of the gospel to anybody, and, and you know, never use it to help yourself grow spiritually, <clears throat> Where am I at? We're charged, after all, to fight the good fight of faith. Sorry, see what I said about fumbling over myself? It's just not going to get any better. I'm sorry. You, you just, you know, maybe you should have stayed home. No, I'm kidding. Don't leave. Stay. Okay? Use the sword to fight against that which attacks your faith. Paul said, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so in my own power, I can't do anything. Right? I can't. Ask my wife. I can't do a whole lot in my own power. Right? <clears throat> but through God, we do have the victory. And when temptation comes against you, remember what the Bible says and apply that. Use the sword to fight against your flesh and to bring your flesh under subjection to what it says. It's not hard to do. When others try to bring you down and destroy your faith, encourage yourself in the Lord. That's what the Bible says that David did. Everybody else around him was, was well, probably depressed. They certainly weren't having a good day. But the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. You can certainly do that with your Bible. And David, he had a great testimony of just going through different hardships. I mean, geez, read the Psalms. And man, he, the way he pours his heart out to God, I sometimes think, I wish I could do that. I don't sound so eloquent when I'm talking to the Lord sometimes, but man, David, he just puts it in such a way as, man, I want to be like that guy. <clears throat> okay, so use the sword to fight against that which attacks your faith. Use the sword to fight against false teachings, fallacies, heresies that may creep in. Paul tells us in Romans 16, 17, to mark and avoid those that are contrary to sound doctrine. Don't be afraid to call heresy what it is, okay? And if you don't know what heresy means, it's just an untruth. Maybe that's not even a word. It's what's not true. Don't be afraid to call heresy what it is. Now, a lot of people get upset about that these days. Well, you know, you really shouldn't, you really shouldn't tell the Catholics that they're not Christians. I'm like, but they're not, right? You're, you're almost kind of gritting your teeth trying to explain this to someone like, their teaching is not making Christians out of people because they teach you have to work your way to heaven. Anyway, don't be afraid to call it what it is. Don't be afraid to use the Bible to oppose it. Gosh, how are you supposed to oppose the doctrine and the heresies that the Jehovah's Witnesses are trying to give you when they show up at your door? The Bible. Unlike days past, okay, now... False teachings are of an abundance. I mean, just turn on your radio, turn on your TV, gosh, browse the internet, go to Walmart and pick up a book in the spiritual section, and you're going to find some false teaching. It's just not hard to find. It's available all over the place. And if you don't guard your faith by staying on the foundation of the Bible, being sure of its truth and power, and knowing the contents, and actively applying it, You'll likely be, as the Bible says, carried about with every wind of doctrine because you were never rooted in what the Bible says. And really, that's how a lot of these, 
you know, so-called churches, cults really is what they are, get so many people is because they say, well, yes, uh, you have a Bible, right? Well, did you ever notice that it says this? Okay, it's almost like everywhere you turn, the serpent is there. Yea, hath God said? What did God really say that? Here, you need, you need this other revelation of, of Jesus Christ over here. Or, well, hey, read this because this will really give you the feels, man. This will make you feel great. And, and, it, and it's not good. What will you say when heresy comes knocking at your door? Okay, that, take that literally and figuratively, right? I don't think the Jehovah's Witnesses have been out here lately because of COVID and all that, which is fine by me. We've got a couple of letters in the mail from the Jehovah's Witnesses a few times where like a handwritten letter, somebody writing us, telling us about their religion. And I'm like, that's bizarre, but okay, at least they're, you know, not out talking to people. Okay, but what are you going to say when they come knocking at your door? What are you going to say when you're asked questions concerning your faith? <laughs> Talk to many people about faith in God, and you're likely to face some questions that is either, one, going to shake your faith, two, going to confuse the mess out of you, or three, going to, you know, <laughs> make you a little bit bold. Well, here, let me tell you about that for a moment. Yes, I can take some time and expound that to you. <clears throat> okay, but the why, there's lots of whys. What are you going to say when people start asking you why about things? Uh, my kids ask why about you know, every little thing. Why this? Why that? Why do we do this? Why don't we do that? Why can't we watch this? Why do we watch that? Why do we only listen to this kind of music? Whys, lots of whys. You're going to get asked some whys too. What are you going to tell them when they ask you about your faith? What will you think when you hear something that you're not so sure about? I mean, there's been a few times where I, you know, would message Brother Tony and be like, hmm, I heard this. What do you think about that? Or, you know, where, where exactly do I find something in the Bible to contradict that? And, uh, I mean, it's just going to happen at some point. Peter instructs us to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And where can we find the answer? John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay, let's recap a bit. Number one, have a foundation and a weapon. We're talking about guarding your faith. Number two, be sure of your foundation and your weapon. Number three, know your weapon. Number four, wield your weapon. Okay, number five, this may sound odd, but for a lack of a better way of putting it, keep fixed. Okay, and there's a few sub points after that, so I'm actually going somewhere with it. Just stay with me. Okay, keep your eyes fixed. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Know the enemy and his attacks and keep your eyes fixed on that. Don't let your guard down or allow your, or allow your faith to become sidetracked. It can easily happen. Stand firm, stand prepared, and ready to fight the enemy. Have compassion on those that would directly or indirectly attack your faith because the enemy's the devil, and here's what we can get hung up on sometimes, and I even have to tell myself, hey, cool it, man, okay? Because sometimes you can get really, I don't know if upset's the right word, you can get really put off with people sometimes 
because of some of the things that they're saying, some of the things that they're pushing off on other people. And you have to remember, they're really not the enemy. It's the man behind the curtain, so to speak, that is feeding them all these falsities and heresies. That's the enemy. Okay, That person, that Jehovah's Witness that knocks on your door and you know just kind of annoys you because they're taking up their time. And I mean, hey, don't we do that to other people on Saturdays too? I'm just saying. But, okay, they're knocking on your door and trying to tell you something you know ain't true. They're not the enemy, okay? The false doctrine that they've been given, that's the enemy. The devil behind it all, he's the enemy. Keep your focus there, okay? These people need a little bit of compassion, not just a cold shoulder necessarily. Now, I know the thing that we like to do is when we see somebody that's saying something wrong, right? Or, you know, a young preacher who's maybe, you know, skewed a little bit just because he's maybe not quite there yet, okay? I was there. I got a lot of grace on probably some of the things that I said, and I am very appreciative of that, of that right? But some compassion, okay? They're not the enemy. The devil's the enemy. The devil's the one that's feeding them this stuff, okay? They're just the pawn. They need the Savior. They're not the enemy. So we need to have some compassion okay even that brother or sister here we go again fellow christians sometimes can get us down guess what they're not the enemy i promise you they're not the enemy but rather the same devil that's attacking them and working on them may be causing them to attack you okay the devil's the enemy it's not your brother or your sister in christ keep your eyes fixed on the enemy okay right under that keep your communication fixed Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 we're just about done I promise you we're just about done Ephesians 6 18 says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit Hebrews 4 16 says let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help find grace to help in time of need Philippians 4 6 through 7 says be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Keeping an open line of communication between God and ourselves is absolutely necessary if we're to stand in his power and keep our faith guarded. You've got to have that communication with God. It's absurd to think that we can have a, re a close relationship with someone that we don't ever talk to with someone we don't ever make an effort to have a friendship with right how should God be any different if we don't ever communicate with God pray to God talk to God how do we expect our relationship to be really good with him lots of people think that you know well I believe in God that's good enough right God wants that personal relationship with us after all that's what God has desired and intended all along to have a personal relationship with his creation. Keep your fellowship fixed. Hebrews 10, 23-25 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. We need the fellowship of fellow believers. And we get that through church, certainly. Encouragement can be found with the fellowship of believers. Knowledge and wisdom can be found there. 
Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 talks a lot about the value of fellowship. It's good. We're stronger when we're together, and it's easier to keep pressing forward when you have others around you on the same journey that you're on and fighting the same good fight of faith that you're fighting. It's a lot easier to keep your faith guarded when you have good fellowship with the brethren. And then lastly, keep your boundaries fixed. Paul charges us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Take notice of things around you or things in your life that may cause your faith to wane or stumble. Put up some walls. Put up some boundaries in your life to keep them out. Okay? Make sure they're biblically founded boundaries. Okay? There ought to be some things in your life that you just say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cross that line. I'm not going to allow that in my life because that is going to cause my faith to die out or to stumble. It's not going to help my walk with God, so I don't need it. Okay? Boundaries, standards, convictions, those are not your enemy either. Those are there to help keep your walk with God. Now, certainly you can take that to an extreme, and really that's, that's another message for another day, but we ought to have some boundaries and, and, and some walls up to help guard our faith. Hopefully that's been a help to you. Let's pray and uh, I guess, Miss Lauren, if you're playing for invitation, whoever's playing for invitation can come over here. Um, but uh, let's pray, and then if you need to come to the altar, you certainly are more than welcome to do so. Uh, dear Father, we thank you again for allowing us to be in your house. I pray that everything was said that you wanted said, Lord, and um, just uh, pray that it was a help to somebody. Um, thank you for all that you do for us and, and for always... Um, giving us a way out of the temptation that we face, Lord, and, and uh, just for giving your son for us, Lord, giving us life. We're sure appreciative of that, Lord, and we love you, and we thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.